We love God because he first loved us, declares the scripture. And God wants us to know him and to be like him. That's what we're considering each week in this series of studies on Search for Truth, your 15-minute programme of Bible teaching and hymn singing. So thanks for tuning in. This time, your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, continues this theme in today's talk, which is called A Steady Pursuit. So let's go to Brian now. Thanks, John. There's a saying which goes something like, the good is the enemy of the best. What I think that's meant to convey is this, that settling for something satisfactory or okay is one of the main reasons we don't often press on for even better results, for excellence. This applies too in spiritual things. People speak about being in their comfort zone. Who would not be reluctant to leave a comfortable, respectable situation? Many Christians avoid obvious failure. They seem to be doing all right. They conform to the norms of Christian respectability. They settle for what seems practical and realistic. Perhaps that seems reasonable, until you read again Paul's letter to the Philippians, a letter that challenges us to leave behind all that's mundane and mediocre in our Christian experience. The letter resonates with the gospel as being the single passion of Paul's life. In his hands, everything turns to the gospel, even when he's in prison. Prison life opens doors to new captive audiences. The gospel is always bigger than his personal circumstances, and he even manages to glory in his chains. And if the gospel is a single passion of Paul's life, then knowing Christ is the steady pursuit of his life. For Paul, you see, Christianity is all about relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A relationship that grows closer with the passing years of life's varied experiences. The language of the text of this Bible letter invites us to picture Paul like an athlete who's always trying to improve on his personal best. Here, it's an athletic pursuit of Christ-likeness. Ever onward and upward, he steadily pursues a more intimate knowledge of the heart and will of Christ. Rather than waste time complaining about his circumstances, Paul's focus was fixed on how he could advance his appreciation of Christ through these circumstances and these experiences. And if the gospel is his single passion, and a deepening personal relationship with the Son of God is his steady pursuit, then the sole purpose of his life is to live in conformity with the cross of Christ. In other words, to follow a lifestyle in keeping with the God who in Christ sacrificed himself on the cross. Such a lifestyle will always be centred on others and not be about acquiring material possessions. Instead, it'll be a downwardly mobile lifestyle characterised by the giving of one's own self for the advantage of others. Paul was never a man to rest on his laurels. He just kept on pressing forward. That's a good example for us to follow. Whatever stage of Christian maturity we've reached, or think we have, we must never think we've got as far as we're going to get. The aims and ambitions that Paul had for his own life were ones he warmly commended to his friends at Philippi. 
to be assured of that, let's take the time to listen again to how Paul, after beginning his letter with his customary introduction, quickly shares the substance of his praying for them. He says this, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's Philippians chapter 1 from verse 9. Life, at least in some parts of the world today, is full of choices. We choose between different options. Some options are good. Only one is best. As it is with us today, 2,000 years ago, people faced choices. At the heart of this simple and short prayer for his friends was Paul's request that they might discern what is best. In the choices which confronted them then, they had to prove or test the differing options and decide upon the one that was best. Paul prayed that they might be divinely guided in that lifestyle choice. Going in for the best thing in life is to be based on an increasing love, a love that's consistent with knowledge and moral insight and which would result in them being pure and blameless. This selection of what's best is also just as clearly a decision with long-term consequences. For Paul brings in the values of eternity, an eternity which will already have dawned upon us when we stand before Christ and he assesses our service at his tribunal or judgment seat. Paul's prayer here anticipates that time and its concern is that they and we should live now in the light of that coming day. So what was this best option which Paul prayed that they might discern and choose for themselves? I'll tell you what I believe it was. Near the end of the letter, Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. Philippians 4.9 That's quite some statement. By God's grace, Paul lived what he preached. So it was right for them to imitate him even as he imitated Christ. In the whole context of this letter, as Paul shares his own single passion, his steady pursuit, and what was the sole purpose of his life, do we not see the very thing modelled, which is the best choice in life, the only worthy pursuit of a lifetime? Can we too not discern what is best, namely to want to know Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, Paul says. Philippians 3, verse 10. Now is that not the best thing we could ever pray for? I wonder what percentage of our praying involves asking God for good health or recovery from illness, for safety on the roads, a good job, success in exams, the needs of our children, success in our mortgage application or job promotion interview, and much more of the same. All of these are perfectly valid prayer concerns. But as you read through the prayers of the Apostle Paul, as they are recorded for us in the Bible, you can't help but notice 
that things like these are not, shall we say, the focus of Paul's praying. We thought about prayer requests in which we often ask God for recovery from illness, for safety on the roads, success in job promotion interviews, that kind of thing. But of all the requests that we direct to God in prayer, we could ask ourselves, which of them will make any difference a billion years from now? Now, I know that raises all sorts of issues about eternity being outside of space and time and all that, but I hope you get my point all the same. It's got to do with the importance of our prayers from an eternal perspective. Whether or not I got the promotion I was chasing will soon pale into total insignificance over against whether I lived a life worthy of the calling to be a Christian. It's that issue that'll be key when Jesus Christ examines the quality of our life of service at his judgment seat tribunal. When we see all the biblical examples of Paul's praying, we ought to get the message that our priority in praying should not be that we might become successful or wealthy or healthy or happy, or even that all our problems might disappear. This prayer fits in with so much New Testament teaching, the prayer of Paul here, teaching that basically urges us to become what we are. By that I mean we are to live out in practice and in public what God has already made us to be in his sight and by his grace. For example, through faith we are made righteous before God, that is, we're given a right standing before him. Now, as Christians, we're called upon to live righteously. In other words, to choose right actions instead of wrong ones. Again, through God's grace in Christ, and by means of the faith he's granted us, we're no longer sinners in God's sight, but we've been made holy in Christ. As a result, the Bible commands Christians to live increasingly holy lives. Others observing us should be able to see a practical difference as old, sinful patterns of behaviour fall away. It's a challenge to us to think how often we pray this prayer of Paul for ourselves, for our family or church friends. Is it true that we tend to spend more time and energy praying that we, our children and friends, will pass exams, get good jobs, recover health, rather than praying that they live lives worthy of what it means to be a Christian. And widening it slightly, what about our general aspirations for those whom we love? Sometimes when families meet, they exchange news about how their children are doing. Often the news that's shared may be in terms of, oh, our Susan's getting married to a lovely fella. He's a partner in a law firm that's doing really well. Her own career as a research scientist is really taking off too. So it's such an exciting time for her. And Johnny, that's her brother, he's into computing, you know. Top of his university year group he is. And what's more, he's already got a top job lined up. What did you say? Spiritually. Oh, I see, you mean to ask how they're getting on spiritually. Well, they travel a lot, you know. And Johnny particularly is not really walking with the Lord right now. But we're sure it's just a phase he's going through. Perhaps such a parent is only being positive in the meantime. But how do these values appear in eternity's perspective? When we stand before the Lord in glory, the only issue will be if we've lived a life worthy of our Christian calling. Whether we've lived for Christ and for God's kingdom and its values, 
Nothing else will matter. Now, how's that thought going to shift the balance and focus of our prayer life? Thanks, Brian, for your talk today. I found it helpful and encouraging, and I hope you did too as you listened. Now, may I remind you, as usual, that there's a transcript book available of all 12 study talks in this series. So why not send for it? Then you'll be able to get more out of these radio talks. It's available online, and either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Or, if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title, A Greater Sense of God. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooden Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. It's been a lovely privilege to enjoy your company again today. Thank you for being with us. And do join us again next week for our next talk about gaining a greater sense of God. It's called Outwards from the Innermost. So, till we see you next time, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Brian, David and me, John. See you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. Oh.